0: Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m., worship gathering at 9.30 a.m., or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor John Buckley. Well, if you'll turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 10, if you can grab one of the Bibles in front of you if you'd like to, or you can uh, follow along and uh, the, the half sheet of paper we will also have it. I wanted to give you that half sheet for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, before I jump into that, I was just thinking this, which I should have already been thinking about this ahead of time, but we'll see if anybody else remembers what I remember. Anybody remember... Um, this will not be everybody, but does anybody remember what on two, in, uh, Labor Day weekend 2009, what was taking place? What? Fire alarm went off. I don't think the fire alarm went off. No, that was a year anniversary. That was 2010. Yes, Doug. Yes. Yes, very first service. It was Labor Day weekend 2009. Isn't it amazing what God's done in nine years? We officially launched in January of 2010, but we gathered, there was 88 of us that gathered together here, and this didn't look anything like it does now. Oh my goodness, was it different. This I would be standing in a room right now where you couldn't see me at all, which may be your preference, but... Uh, There was a stage that went all the way out to the first row there, and we actually had to lift up television monitors and put them up onto the platform, and this homeschooling group was using this, and we would put canvas over, not canvas, but uh, sheets of sort over it because they were doing different plays and things. We would have had Alice in Wonderland in the rabbit hole behind me when I was preaching. Doesn't always work with the sermon theme, uh, but uh, excuse me what difference uh, things have have made until now. So all be to the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's for sure that he has allowed us to be where we're at now, and we pray we'll continue to broaden our opportunity to, to share the gospel with those who need it and encourage and edify the saints. So the reason I gave you this half sheet of paper is a couple different reasons. First of all, it's got two sides to it. One is the Scripture passage. And the reason it's in the New Living is because Romans sometimes can be a little difficult to understand. I'm going to be preaching from the ESV, so if you want to follow along on that, but you can use this. Obviously, there's a lot the same. This is a little easier English, uh, so I wanted you to have that. I encourage you to read it. This is a powerful passage of Scripture. And the reason we're doing this, and we're not in 1 Samuel is because the first sundays of every month in the year and this year 2018 what we're doing is This year's theme is teach, learn, and live. We want to teach God's Word, we want to learn God's Word, we want to live God's Word from Philippians chapter 4. It's also one of our core values, teaching and living God's Word is kind of what it's birthed out of, and each year our goal is to focus on one of our core values and find some creative ways that we can really keep it in front of you. Last year was discipleship, this year has been teaching and living God's Word, teach, learn, and live. So this Sunday, the first Sundays of every month, almost every month, last month I kind of shared what? God had taught me on my sabbatical. But this month, we're back in this. If you want to look up um, and online, you can do that. But this is the salvation doctrinal statement. If you go to there and go to salvation, I had uh, our secretary print off the whole doctrinal statement there for salvation. That way you can kind of follow it and really understand. And everything I preach today, you're going to see almost all of what I talk about is going to be reverberated in here, but there's a couple points that are on here that I'm not necessarily going to be here in Romans chapter 10, but we're going to hit on salvation. And if you read that first line there with me on our doctrinal statement, that first paragraph I should say, it says this, we believe that salvation is a free gift of God's grace based on the atoning work. Of Christ and is received by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone. We have a couple verses there. We're going to go over a lot of scripture today. So if you have a pen, you're going to want to keep that alongside of you. And then again, we have the scripture on the other side there for you. So as we dig into salvation as our core value, I had James read Romans 10 1 to 4 because it gives us the background that we're really getting into in this passage. Now, remember, Paul was a Jew. Paul was a Jew of the Jews. He was a spiritual leader in the Jews. He was so zealous for Christ, or excuse me, for God, he thought he was doing it for all the right reasons, that he was out persecuting these Christians, these followers of this fake Messiah, because he didn't realize that Jesus was the Messiah and had come. He wasn't there yet. And so he in his zeal for the church, in order to purify the church, was going out and imprisoning and killing those who were followers of Jesus Christ. So Paul was very, very Jewish, and God met him on the road to Damascus, and God saved him in a miraculous and glorious way. And Paul changed in drastic ways. But one of the things that God gave Paul as a job to do was to help the world know and understand that Paul was supposed to challenge not only just the Jews, who he had a natural voice into their life but also the Gentiles who really had been left out as far as the Jews were concerned in the whole we're God's people category. So with that, I refer you back to Romans chapter 10. And what you see here is Paul wanted desperately for his Jewish brothers and sisters to understand and accept Christ as Savior. He appreciated so much their zeal, but he was burdened that they didn't see that righteousness can come from God alone and can't be either earned or maintained by us. Salvation does not come in obedience to the law. Salvation does not come in obedience by obedience to the law. It's only by the acceptance of Christ, and in their case, the Jews, as their Messiah. And that's what the first four verses you see Paul really trying to emphasize. Hey, guys, I want you to get this. I appreciate your zeal. I had that zeal. I mean, you had zeal. I went so far, I was persecuting. Most of you didn't do that. He was dragging people out of their home, all in the name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah. He had the stamp of the religious leaders of the time. I get zeal, he was saying, but it's not enough. It doesn't earn you a spot in heaven or earn you a place where God smiles on you greater. So I really want you guys to get this, and that's where he unpacks Romans chapter 10, verse 5. And we're going to be through verse 15 today. So let's read verses 5 through 8 of Romans chapter 10. Again, you can follow along in the half sheet. I'm going to read it out of the ESV because that's kind of where I was studying and breaking things down from. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. We just talked about that. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But, verse 6, the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your hearts, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So you get, get here. Let's go back up to that first verse I just read. Verse number five again. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. He was bringing him back in again. You guys get that. You understand that. But then what does he say next to them? That the person who does the commandments shall live by them, but the righteousness based on on faith. We're going to go in there in just a second. See, so what you see here is Paul begins here by saying this, that if you're choosing to live by the law, then you have to keep all of the law in its total conformity to be seen as righteous, which was an impossibility. You can't get it all. You can't ever be good enough to accomplish all the aspects of the law. If you're going to be righteous, and what he used here, and you're going to see this a lot in Romans, but in this passage, if you want to look this up later, if you want to write down Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 5, that's the Old Testament verse that he's quoting when he goes through this, the Old Testament passage, and a few other ones, by the way. So he quotes Leviticus 18.5 in this section here and uses that very scripture so that they could help themselves to understand what God was trying to say. He then also uses Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 12 and 13 here. And you see that in the phrases he gives when he says, who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into the abyss? And what he was trying to say there is that your journey of faith doesn't require you to have some impossible quest through the universe trying to unlock the heavenly secrets to get who Christ was. He wraps it up by quoting Deuteronomy 30 and verse 14 with this thought, that we are unable to save ourselves and we cannot discover this gift on our own. It is brought to us by God through Christ and what he did for us, and then in faith we believed. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10 and James chapter 2 and verse 10 also reverberate that. All underneath this category, man's righteousness cannot save him. Only faith, which is that last verse there we see, verse 8, only faith in his finished work. We have to believe, brothers and sisters, that all of the work that was necessary for our redemption took place when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that it was for us for our sins and folks do not get into an academic understanding of that oh yeah i get it i deal with people all the time in religions and in churches who get that jesus died on the cross they believe that jesus died on the cross but they don't get to the point where they understand that they have to personally accept christ as their savior understand that they're a sinner and ask for christ to forgive them of their sins going to this church or any other church is in no way give you higher standing and thumbs up from God. Giving lots of money doesn't give you higher upstanding in God. Knowing a pastor, a priest, a Levi, Levi, I guess they don't have those anymore, a rabbi, they have those. Any of those situations doesn't give you a one-up with God. Nothing that man can do or accomplish in any way helps you on your journey. It's you coming to that point of understanding that I can only know Christ By accepting his gift that was given with his shed blood, his death, burial, and resurrection for my sins. And that I accept his gift recognizing I'm a sinner who needs saving. It's only by his finished work. And we're going to see that reverberated as we go through here. James 2.10 especially I like if you want to look that up later. But it says this, if we fail in one point, we're guilty of all. And this illustration is being used a lot. The guy that drives the getaway card for the robbery is just as guilty as the guy who robs the bank. And all we have to do is sin one time to be a sinner. You lie once, you're a sinner. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands. I think everyone here would acknowledge they've lied. And when you understand that, that you're a sinner that needs a Savior, that's when we understand that I can now take that step to accept Christ as my Savior. But I love this about God, too. He makes the understanding, the way to salvation, so much easier than we can complicate it in our humanity. In verse number 9, it says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now this step, although it's very cut and dry, makes, we need to make sure we understand this. The confession of Christ is not just an acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord or Jesus is Christ. In fact, James chapter 2 and verse number 19, if you want to write that down, that reminds us that even the demons believe that. They believe that Jesus is Lord They understand that he's Christ. They get that. But what it means is this it's an embracing, get this phrase, an embracing without reservation. An embracing without reservation that you are accepting Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Again, an embracing without reservation. That you are accepting Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. You can look up again later. A confession also means this. It means an accepting of complete responsibility of your sin. You think of it. When you have, as a parent, you've heard your children confess. We've heard crime, you know, television and stuff. When people confess, they're coming to say, this is what I did wrong. And to go to Christ and go, I know that I am powerless for my own salvation. I'm coming saying, God, I need you and you alone that can come in to save me of my sins. It's the accepting complete responsibility, not the pointing the finger at someone else and turning from that and trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of our sins. Your belief in his finished work is imperative. Again, think through that simple phrase and yet powerful phrase, again, starting in verse number nine. What's it say? Because if you confess, if you without reservations embrace, when you take responsibility for your sin with your mouth of Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now I've heard people get hung up on, well, but that it's gotta be a public confession because we say with our mouth. Well, he's tying into the fact that confessions are made with our mouth. That we, that, that's what people understood and knew. Don't get, get caught up sometimes in the nuances. Did I confess it in the right way? Did I confess it to the right people? Don't get caught in that, except with faith, simple faith. It's a simple thing, acknowledging, hey, confessing, understanding I'm embracing Christ alone as my Savior, confessing my sin, taking full responsibility, believing in my heart of what he did and accepting him as my Savior. That's the simplicity of it that we need to keep in front of us. We sometimes add extra steps or say, did I have enough faith? Did I work hard enough? Did I believe strong enough? Did I have the right feelings when it happened? None of those things matter. It matters if we're in obedience to what God says coming to salvation looks like. You see here, Paul says this, I love this, God raised him from the dead. That was the final validation that Christ was God, that he was raised from the dead, Every other tomb that had a great religious leader in it is still in that tomb. The only empty tomb is Christ's empty tomb because he was raised from the dead. You see here that Paul uses both the words confession and belief on purpose. We need to do both to be saved. Now, just in case there's any misunderstanding, the word saved here doesn't mean a physical saving. Because again, I'll run into people that go, well, if God saves people, then how come he allows genocide to take place? That's the tragic result of a sinful world in which we live in. But he's talking here about spiritual saving. Your flesh will die. Now, when Jesus Christ comes back again, there will be that sound of the trumpet that we hear in in the Thessalonians, and we'll be caught up together in the clouds to be with him forever. I believe at that point in time, that flesh dies, that's you know going to be meeting up and our soul our spirit is what is going to be with Christ he'll give us a new body the bible talks about physical death will happen but spiritual life comes from Jesus Christ alone and what he did for us on this earth Romans chapter 4 and verse 24 is a good one if you want to look up that if you first peter 1 3 and 4 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 22, the Bible has literally got hundreds of different references to how we can understand these things even greater than Romans chapter 10. But remember again, man's righteousness cannot save him, only faith in his finished work. And man's way to salvation is simple, confess and believe. The third thing that we want to talk about today is man's way to salvation is universal. Man's way to salvation is universal. And that's in verses 11 to 13. And the Bible says this. Verse 11. It helps if I can find it. Here we go. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. By the way, that was taking... that. Phrase there was taken from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 23. Again, Jesus knew his audience. He referenced often the Old Testament so that the Jews understood this wasn't something new that God brought up. This was something he already talked about frequently in the Old Testament. So that's a phrase excuse me, from Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 23 there in verse 11. Verse 12. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of, what's that word? All bestowing his riches on all who call on him for, next word, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't you love that? There's no exclusions. There's no situations where someone say, but not me, I was too bad, or I'm too good. It's all, I love that. God's salvation to mankind is universal. He could care less what gender, what color of skin, Whether you're rich or poor or short or tall, it doesn't matter any of those human distinctions that we lay out. And and the reason Paul was hammering this so much to the Jews was because they were having such a hard time embracing the Gentiles. And I got to ask us that question, who, what's that group that, who are are those people out there that we think, man, they just don't get it. They could never be saved. I know in my mind, I think of groups like terrorists, like ISIS and, and, and groups like that that I think, man, they, they don't seem to really have any um, understanding of, the, of human life. And when I hear some of the things that take place. Those are things that come into my mind. And I think, man, could they really get this? Yes. Because it's easy for me to judge that group not understanding that I am just as evil and bad as anyone else out in that world is because I'm a human being born in sin, living in flesh, who needs a Savior just like you and I, just like all the rest of us here do. And we so easily categorize, well, that person's too bad. That person's too evil. We are all born sinners. And how dare we raise a finger at anyone else and say, whew, I'm just glad I'm not as bad as them. No, you could be just as bad as them, because the Bible says the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We all have the capacity to be the most vile on this planet, but for the grace of God. In this passage, what Paul was trying to desperately get them to understand, and what we need to understand, first of all is, Embracing the beauty and power of salvation. That Christ loved me so much. God loved me so much. He sent Christ that I could have him as Savior. And that it was for everyone. It was for everyone. Christ came to save all. He didn't come to save just Jews, but all mankind. As I mentioned, that phrase was from Isaiah forty-nine twenty-three. But let's, and then you see the rest of that, ladies, I went over with you. Would you turn with me real quick? Keep your finger there. It's in the same book. Go with me to Romans chapter 3 if you are, if you are able to. If not, if you're just using the half sheet, that's fine. Just listen up as I read this. <clears throat> While they're turning there, a few other verses that you're going to see reiterate everything I'm talking about here is Romans chapter 16. I know I mentioned that earlier. 2 Peter 3.9. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 and 29. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, and Ephesians 3, 4 to 6. And if you send me an email, I'll be happy to send all those verses to you. Now we see when with the, the last thing he says in verse number um, 11. For the, everyone, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will be put to shame. Verse 12 we read through. And then verse 13, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's taken, by the way, from Joel, the book of Joel Chapter uh, number two on there, if you want to look that at verse nine. So let's look at Romans here real quick. Romans three, verse 22. Romans three twenty-two. Listen to this. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or payment by his blood to be received, to be received by faith. There's so much in the scriptures that remind us about what salvation is all about and the fact that Christ came to save all mankind. This wasn't a cry to be saved by some random deity, but by Jehovah God alone. Next, man's responsibility is to go and tell. If you're here today, and you've come to a point where you've accepted Christ as Savior, don't lose the awe of that. I run into believers who the longer they're saved, the more they understand the lingo, the do's and don'ts, the what they can and can't do, but they lose the awe that if it weren't for the gift of salvation, I would be on my my way personally to a real hell to burn in eternity to a place that God made for the devil and his angels. I could be going there. But the gift of God... I remember I was going into fourth grade. I've told this story before, so you either get a refresher, or if you're new, you're going to hear it the first time. Fourth grade, I was going <clears throat> to Sunday school, to the church my mom and my, the guy my mom was dating at the time took me. I was already not happy because I was going to this church because I didn't like this guy, who, by the way, she later ended up marrying. I didn't like this guy at that time. And I went to his church, and I wasn't happy about it. And then they sent me in this Sunday school class. Now, I grew up in more mainline churches where things were a little more orderly and liturgical. We had organs. We had some of that. At least up until that time, I'd never even heard what a Baptist was all about. And then I walked in this room, and they had a big bus ministry. So there was like 200 kids in there, and they were screaming, because you don't really sing this song. It's a a children's song. Hallelujah, 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 praise ye the Lord. Anybody ever heard that before? Don't worry. We won't do it in here. So I'm walking in there, they're all screaming that, although the kids downstairs might wonder what's going on up there. But I'm doing that, I walk into that as a kid never being exposed to that anyways, and I walk in and go, whoa, these people are crazy. I remember thinking that, these people are crazy. I'm not happy now, and now I'm in a room full of crazy people. And then I had to go sit in this chair, and I was mad. I remember folding my arms, my feet didn't touch the ground, in my little folding chair there, and I wasn't going to listen. And then the guy got up to speak, and I remember thinking, I'm not listening to this guy at all. This just ticks me off. I my mom's going to ask me, how was it? I'm going to go, I was terrible. And so I was bound and determined. And, the guy, and I remember at the end of what he talked about, which I don't remember what he talked about, but I remember at the end of what he talked about, I was so mad because he caught me up in the story. Because I was leaning on my seat and he prayed and, okay, and he prays, and I remember thinking, oh, I let him get me. I was listening. I liked that. I thought, okay, well, I got through that. And then they did this crazy thing called Sunday school. At least I thought it was crazy because I thought that was all. I'd already been there an hour. Are you kidding me? That's all I ever did before. It was an hour. And then they brought us to Sunday school. Well, I get up with this guy named Max, Mr. Max. He was a big, tall, thin guy. He had a huge belt buckle. I'll never forget that. It's probably about, you know, where I could see when I'm in fourth grade. Big, tall guy. He had big boots on and I was a little scared, intimidated by him. And I remember him getting there and, okay, you guys are with me. You're the fourth guy. He's going to fourth grade. You're coming with me. So we followed him and we walk over to the bathrooms. I thought, oh, okay, this isn't bad. Then we walked into the bathroom, through the bathroom, and they're in a locker room. Well, unbeknownst to me, they were having a building project of the church, and our Sunday school class was in the bathroom, in the locker room. I remember about 15 feet from where I sat on that bench, I saw the toilet. I'm thinking, this is not what I'm used to for Sunday school. (laughs) And then Mr. Max said to the kids, hey, just want you all to know, today we're not going to do our normal lesson but I just want to talk to you guys about the gift of salvation that Christ gives. And I remember some of those kids that were dressed a lot nicer than me rolled their eyes, oh, I've heard this. And I was like, I think I've heard this. I'm not sure. This is all weird to me. And Mr. Max, for the first time at least that I remember hearing, shared with me how Jesus came and lived a sinless life and died a cruel death and took all of my sins and that I could accept that gift and be his Savior. And I remember as a little kid that grew up in a broken home, thinking, if anybody would love me that much, the least I can do is give them a chance. And I stayed after, and Mr. Max prayed with me as I accepted Christ as my Savior. That was a long time ago, decades. And I, like many of you, come to times where I become calloused in my Christianity. But I often pray, God, bring me back to the simple faith of that fourth-grade boy who accepted you as Savior, because my walk with Christ should be all the more exciting as I remember what he saved me from and that he saved me, period, and that I have new life in Christ. And someday, when I die either by the rapture or I die in physical death, when I open my eyes, I am confident that I'll be face-to-face with my Savior. So the challenge to us as believers is gonna, we're going to find in this next section here. But let me just take a moment before I do that. If you're here today and you've never taken that step, where in simple faith you've understood you're a sinner that needs a Savior, and you've asked Christ to save you of your sins, confess and believe today. You can do it right in your chair. I'd be happy up front to help you. If you're a woman, you'd rather be with a woman. I'd be happy to direct you to a lady that can take you through the scriptures. But don't let another day go by that you don't have that confidence in the gift of salvation. So Christians, this next passage is for you. We see in verse number 14. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, this is from the Psalms, I love this verse. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Christian, first of all, are you living a testimony with the people you come across that exudes, that amplifies a love relationship you have with God? You should not be the grumpiest person at work. should not be the biggest complainer. You should not be the worst testimony in the way that you treat your employees or employer. You should be one that people, by watching your life, goes. there's something about your life that I see that's different than my life. And you can easily say, it's not me, because normally I'm grumpy. Normally I'm kind of, you know, angry. So normally I complain about stuff. But man, Christ. And let me just tell you what Christ has done for me. And Christian, I don't say that to shame anybody. I say that if you're living in that way, then repent of that in your life and ask God to help you to be the testimony. If you've got to go and make things right at work because you lost your temper with somebody or you know you're not living in a way that, that exemplifies those Christian principles, maybe you're taking money, maybe you're talking poorly, maybe your language is a blasphemy in some ways. Again, my purpose isn't to shame you, but to, to present the truth that we are the best testimonies when we're living in a way that Christ is exemplified and he will work through us if we allow him to. If you're a child of God, the spirit of God lives in you and he will work through you so that you can be that testimony to other people and people see a change of you. Remember we talked about Saul last week when Brian preached and everybody goes, hey, this is not the son of Kish. Something's different, why? Because the spirit of God was on him Folks, if you're a child of God, the Spirit of God is in you. And you have the opportunity to do that. I just love the way Paul writes those questions. But how can they believe if they've never heard? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news. And that's my last challenge before I throw out a few concluding remarks. Brother and sister, Would you start to think now of who you can share your story with? We're scared to death a lot of times at work. Well, how do I even bring it up? Well, you can start by offering to pray for people as they have things come up. Oh, man, I heard your aunt's sick. I pray for you. Rarely do I see people turn me down. Occasionally they do. You can talk, and as you have a conversation with somebody, you can ask them about this simple question. Hey, have you ever thought that when you die, where do you think you're going to go? A lot of times that'll open up an avenue to talk to other people. And I guarantee you this as well. Why are we afraid that we, those of us who are Christians, the Spirit of God is in you. So ask him to give you the words to say. You're going to be amazed how you start talking and go, wow, that isn't what I normally say. I know. Isn't God great? If you start praying today that God will give you opportunities to be a witness, I'm telling you they'll be there and the Spirit of God will help you in those situations. So a few concluding remarks. What are you trusting in for salvation? Is it works? Religion? Maybe because your family goes to church? Remember, confess and believe. Second, as I mentioned earlier, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ's offer, how about today? How about today? And last, those of you that know Christ as Savior, how are you going to share the message Do you need to go back and do some damage control? Do you need to go back and go, "Ah, I blew it here. I need to to confess my sin. I know it's hard. I'm telling you, pray, God will help you. And you'll have opportunity. But then live and look and pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Go to work, go home, go to your neighborhood and ask God to give you a gospel focus and you'll be amazed at the people God puts in your way that he prompts you about. Don't pressure yourself. You pray and ask, he'll put it there. And then you be in obedience and follow through on those promptings that he gives to you. We serve a good God. We all deserve damnation. None of us are good. Even our best day. But I've said this before. You know what I love about God? On my best day and my worst day, God loves me the same. Isn't that amazing? So folks... Let's live in the liberating power of the gospel and be passionate about sharing it with those around us who need to hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much today, God, for your word. Thank you, Father, for our doctrinal statement, Lord. And even as I had the privilege of digging through it and praying through it, and looking through passages, Lord, just a reminder that I am your child. I've been redeemed, and I am so grateful for that, God. And I pray that every Christian today could take a chance to stop and thank you for the great salvation we have. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today, as I've already mentioned in the sermon, Lord, they don't know you, that today would be their spiritual birthday. They would be able to enter into the family of God, and allow the angels to rejoice in it, and you to be their Savior. So thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for providing a way for our redemption. In your precious name, amen.